Hi, everyone, and thank you so much, Tina. Um, so for the next segment, we're talking about money markets and DeFi. Uh, you're joined here by Alex Batman. Hi, me. And we have two really, really interesting guests with us. We have James from Tendex and Stanley from Ave. Stanley, hi, Stanley. Give us a brief overview, please, sir. Hey, Alex. Um, so I'm, I'm Stanley Kolechov, the, the founder and CEO of uh, Aave. Uh, so basically, the Aave team contributes uh, building the decentralized Aave protocol. Uh, that is essentially a money market where you can deposit cryptographic assets uh, into the protocol and earn interest. And also, uh, a credit line is granted to, to, to borrow against other assets. And uh, I started building DeFi uh, when, when it wasn't really called DeFi, but, but just uh, uh, so-called DApps, decentralized financial, uh, decentralized applications back in 2016, 17. Um, and we launched the first lending protocol in Ethereum and Aave is practically uh, evolve, evolvement of, of that. And before that, uh, I, I basically used to work in legal industry. So my background is in law. And uh, before that, I, I uh, built Web2 financial uh, applications. So this, this has been a pretty exciting time for me uh, to, to build something, something like this, uh, given, given that uh, uh, DeFi is, is kind of like smart contracts talking to each other and, and this, this new, new, new kind of uh, internet in finance. So I'm, I'm uh, we, well, I suppose, yeah, we created uh, Tendex, um, we launched it in Jan, it's a, um, it's a systematic uh, market neutral fund. So we, we tried a whole lot of algorithmic systematic strategies, mainly across, almost actually completely across CFI at the moment. Um, and I guess my personal interest was, I, I sort of fell in the, in the blockchain space and uh, 2015, 2016, I've been involved in, in designing some sort of uh, different token economies, Civic, um, which was a, one of the sort of earlier projects that launched. I sort of helped redesign some of their token economics. I'm, I'm very interested in, in incentives um, and, and how sort of technology and finance come together. I, I believe that, you know, DeFi offers a lot of, of very interesting potentials. And then obviously on, on a fun side for us in interesting arbitrage opportunities and um, and, and other sort of opportunities to to earn yield. Um, although there's still sort of a number of hurdles before I think uh, big institutions. So, you know, this is sort of still very early early stage um, uh, and but, but, but exciting and it's nice to be in, involved with sort of at ground zero. What I will do is I'll ask both James and Stanley the usual question I ask, which is why DeFi? Um, so Stanley, love to hear more about Ave and why DeFi? <clears throat> That's a cool question because um, before I came to the, the uh, started to build um, applications on smart contracts, uh, pretty much the, the, the uh, deposits and lending uh, facilities, uh, practically, I had actually a choice uh, whether to to build a smart contracts or just make the uh, uh, smart contracts sur surface uh, small small enough and and do as much of off chain uh, execution as possible. Um, and and actually, uh, uh, when I was planning planning the 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 actual business model, not the the, the protocol itself. So the, I, I started from like a uh, business model perspective, uh, the the thinking. Uh, many of my closest um, kind of advisors and, and friends actually uh, recommended that I should do, I, I should practically 
go with the centralized model because that uh, it's, it's way more easier and you could actually allow people to deposit uh, fiat and, 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 and also people can deposit uh, crypto and borrow directly fiat and, and send from the banking system. Um, but for me, like uh, the properties of what um, uh, smart contract based development uh, provides, uh, they're just so powerful uh, even without thinking the ecosystem. So let's say uh, when, when you deposit to, to our protocol or are interacting with it any, any way, you practically see everything what's happening uh, within the protocol. And this, this applies for the whole um, uh, network. Let's say for example, in Ethereum or uh, something more uh, straightforward like uh, Bitcoin uh, network. So, so you see all, all of the action that is happening. So, so you have practically transparent finance. Mm-hmm. So, so there is no black boxing in the sense that uh, let's say how interest rates are decided, what kind of algorithms are used, uh, are everyone paying equally in the same level from the interest rate or earning equally from that. So, so this transparency is very uh, important uh, factor. And also because smart contracts can be built in a way that it, they're hard to change. Uh, so it's basically immutability or, or, or governance. Uh, practically it ensures the, that transparency. And uh, I think over time, what I realized that uh, as, as the ecosystem started to grow more, that it, it wasn't only about uh, basically the, the transparency or, or, or um, this functionality, but actually that uh, you started to see other things being built in the DeFi sector or in, in on-chain ecosystem. So, so before Aave, there was decentralized exchanges um, and, and, and particularly, we, we saw automated uh, market making protocols uh, such as Uniswap and, and many other things. So you, you kind of started to see like an ecosystem where smart contracts could talk to each other. And you as an end user, you, you practically have uh, permissionless access to these facilities. So it actually doesn't matter anymore where part of the world you're accessing. You, you, st- you, you have the access to this kind of like an ocean of liquidity. And this is very fascinating to me. James, why DeFi? Um, yeah, I, I guess that's a question I'm still trying to answer. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I think there was a lot of um, a lot of hype and a lot of necessary hype and, uh, and and excitement, and I think a lot of that was was came about through yield farming, um, and I think it brought a lot of speculators into into the space, and like any sort of mania there was there was a, a crazy period in you know july june july august um and and now i think people are busy trying to sort of work out in more detail that the exciting the um, the, the exciting parts of it that composability etc allows for more perhaps potentially more financial innovation as um stanley was saying you know the the idea that if you want to interact with the stripe api you, you need x permissions and, and agree to terms and services etc and the same with uh with with other policies and, and and processes, you know, slows down financial innovation to a degree. Where here, you know, as, as much as people can think of it, they can interact with it. The, the the challenge with that is is the risks that come about. So, you know, the the danger with these protocols isn't. Why well, I think I mean, of course, when you design a smart contract, that has obvious danger. But I think what people are struggling to grapple with is the is the complexity as, as these uh, different protocols begin to interact with each other, and it, and it appears to be that those failing points, whether it's um, an oracle failure or, or through through some sort of attack, is 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 costing the space a lot of money. But I guess it's a it's a, it's a messy way of uh, 
of, of finding the, the the best solution. So, what kind of in your you know uh, kind of your fund you invest in in the crypto space? Kind of what uh, as a yeah, institutional player effectively? What are your barriers? What are the concerns and the tensions you have to to kind of adopting DeFi as part of your investment strategy? So, I think for 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 us particularly, we we are a a market neutral fund and and we. Um, and, and so that you know it, it is, is, has one sort of potential element, but I, I think that there's a layer above, which is that you know, uh, with with any money maker speaking more money manager speaking more general, is that is that you have to be able to explain your risks to your LPs because at the end of the day, this is you know you're, you're a custody of someone else's money, and those the, the people, the investors that have given you money, you know, it, they've begun to appreciate and understand at least and believe that they can quantify and that you have remedies for. Um, the risks around, uh, you know, a centralized exchange getting hacked, or you can use multiple exchanges, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the risks around smart contracts are still very, I guess, unknown to the to the let's say average person. Um, and even under explaining a smart contract to you know uh, potential investors is, is quite complex. And then you layer on a you know a level more, which is that you know this fund, this whole space is built effectively on. A big part of it is, is built on the DAO. It's the, the show you the die. If, if die had to had to you know, fail through some sort of catastrophic failure, you know the whole space is, is is quite vulnerable. And I think those, you know, and I guess this kind of is the counterpoint to your um, build deep liquidity. I think in time that might be the case when when people get really comfortable. But at the moment, you know, they see these. What you see is oh, well, one honey pot, one sort of pot of cash. Other people see as a honey pot that is also a centralized point of failure. That makes sense. We actually had like with the flurry of institutional interest in DeFi, given the market conditions, we've got a number of funds that we're working with. But uh, the key ask has been a couple of times is how can we prove that we have sufficient control over what we invest and how? So, you know, because take SushiSwap versus Uniswap, it would have been a bit uh, kind of easy uh, to get excited and move everything to SushiSwap and then kind of lose a lot of money so uh, we introduced the concept of DeFi firewalls because we effectively uh, support ability for folks to um, uh, use your traditional metamask but with our integration to safely uh, transact with keys in our custody but with flexibility metamask but they wanted the ability to control which transactions are approved or not so we've introduced the firewalls uh, to do that. So that's been pretty popular. And it sounds like that level of control of which smart contracts are safe to use, which are not. You might also want to control which ones you use. Have you got Nexus Mutual Insurance for it or something like that and so on. So there's sort of mitigation actions there. I guess, Stanny, you build a brilliant protocol. Um, and I think probably, if I'm right, the first set of users were much more kind of retail and users, but it sounds like you're getting more institutional interest. I'd love to get your perspective uh, on that side of it. Yeah, I definitely think so as well, because uh, I've seen DeFi in general being driven a bit of a retail interest in, in crypto in, in general for the past uh, past history. Uh, I've seen in DeFi also like um, that there's interest from institutions and also I see kind of like some of the uh, retail segments are becoming more institutionalized. So. Uh, practically, it might might be uh, there, there might be some new functionality that that becomes 
institutionalized. And one of the things are, for example, the uh, liquidators, uh, liquidation networks on, on DeFi, let's say in Aave protocol maker. And uh, these entities that are running these bots, they are becoming more professional. So that's interesting to, to uh, see. And, and also some of the uh, liquidity providers uh, are becoming more professional as well. And, and in, in terms of uh, uh, institutional interest, there definitely is. Uh, I, I think for us, the kind of like a biggest concerns are related to towards the security because uh, not every DeFi is equally the same. As, as we'll, we could say that not every each cryptocurrency is equally the same technically and other properties uh, related to that. In, in, in that case, kind of like uh, each DeFi protocol has its own um, kind of like complexity and, and, and also the way it has been built, uh, risk assessment on, on different kinds of assets that, that the, the, the protocol uh, has listed and risk parameters. And uh, I, I think this kind of like a safety is, is one of the things that uh, institutions are eager to understand uh, more. And, and, and basically what are the risks? Because the, the interesting part is that all the data uh, in, in DeFi and on blockchain is actually transparent and available, auditable by anyone, by, by institutions, by regulations, regulators. And, and, and there's just, there isn't just yet enough tools actually to quantify and, and, and basically analyze uh, that risk. Let's stop talking about barriers and let's stop talking about something cool, uh, which is, you know, you've got flash loans, rate switching, credit delegation. I'd love to know more a little bit about those things. What do they mean? Because I think this is the new stuff that actually you can only pretty much do on blockchain right now. I'd love to hear about those opportunities. Yeah, definitely. So um, as, as the, the other protocol itself, what's interesting is it's, it's always been about unlocking liquidity. So practically you, you might deposit one asset to an interest, but also you might borrow some stable coin, for example, and, and you, you have a long position in that uh, deposit asset. So roughly 75% of the depositors, um, they're depositing into Aave, but they're not exercising their credit line, which practically means that there is roughly 1.5 billion worth of uh, value in the smart contracts uh, sitting there uh, basically as a collateral. And, and what flash loans allows to do is to, to borrow all that liquidity in one single transaction uh, and, and use that liquidity in one transaction uh, on the Ethereum uh, network. So it, it allows to do different kinds of functionality such as arbitrage, uh, uh, for example, refinancing loans from one protocol to another uh, and, and swapping your collateral from one to another in a, if you have a loan position and various other things. So it's, it's kind of like a way to get um, get that liquidity uh, into usage uh, and, and it generates also additional interest for the uh, depositors who are providing that liquidity uh, into the smart contracts. And I think flash loans is kind of like, we see flash loans quite often related to some sort of like a arbitrage exploits. Uh, mm. and, and I think the issue is not flash loans, uh, per se, because uh, it's usually the assumption of the protocol developers thinking that no one could have, let's say, 30 or 100 million worth of value and they can come and just manipulate the market and, and use that manipulation and, and extract that uh, kind of like a uh, profit out of the market. When in, in fact, like when you're developing this protocol, you, you have to think that uh, kind of like you can't make assumptions uh, like this and you have to kind of consider that there's infinite amount of liquidity when someone is uh, interacting with these protocols and they have to be resilient in flash loans. But in general, I think we have uh, since January up 
up to uh, somewhere until um, uh, November, uh, early November, we have over half a billion worth of flash loans consumed from the Aave protocol, which which shows that um, they're actually used in, in many, many other ways as well. Just like an intra-block lending and borrowing. Yes, yes. It's, it's kind of like, if you think about like some of the traditional finance, they might have settlements uh, one, two days, or let's say end of the day, this settlement is practically uh, on that block. <laughs> yeah, that's why, yeah, intra-block. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose it doesn't sound as cool as Flash. Uh, um, yeah. Intra-block loan. How boring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. I think the other, other thing that, that, that those might do, which is like maybe in sort of, you know, five or ten years' time, is that they provide the, you know, why do people raise funds to begin with? Well, you raise funds because you have a strategy, but you need, you know, obviously more capital to deploy it with. But a, a flash loan, if, if you, if people, you know, have necessarily seen any of these, but, but if, if you could design uh, strategies that run intra block, you know, you, you could effectively deploy the strategy and, and use the flash loan capital as your, your fund uh, capital. And you, I mean, you, you wouldn't even launch a fund. It would be a, 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 effectively a one person team. Mm. Um, and you know, I, mean, I know some people are doing that. Obviously, you're talking about um, arbitrage and also some, you know, exploiters. And, um, but but you know, it'll be interesting to see in time if if people sort of professionalize around, um, you know, a small small group of people that profit off using the, the flash loan liquidity as they effectively fund liquidity, because then you also only pay for it when you need it. Yeah. Um, you know, much like AWS, you only pay for your uh, you know your computing power as you need it. Uh, yeah, exactly. An interesting part is that uh, kind of like because you don't need the own uh, kind of like you have the capital on demand, you, you basically pay on demand, so you, you don't need to have exactly. the account. And and practically, if it comes to liquidations on MakerDAO system, the other system, or other protocols, uh, and, I mean it's difficult to compete with flash loans because you, you get the liquid liquidity, and it's up to then the the kind of like a gas cost and, and so forth. yeah, so, yeah. No, that's pretty exciting. Interesting. I guess maybe we finish off on a yet another very exciting aspect, which is ETH2. You know, it's, it's around the corner. It's been around the corner for a long time. In fact, I think it's gone around every corner of a hexadecimal uh, building, but it feels like it's right almost there. So I'd love your thoughts about, um, James, what does it mean? What does proof of stake mean? Uh, yields on ETH2 versus ETH1, Love to kind of get your thoughts on this one. Um, kind of sure. I'm I'm definitely not the the, the, the technical expert, but um, but I, I think that the you know I, th I think it's 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 exciting. Um, I know it's been around for a while. I think it will you know almost launch as the biggest proof of stake. I know maybe second biggest if we need um, Tezos, but but it is I think for me that the more exciting element is is what it enables. So you know it enables uh, and hopefully uh, transactions of, of sort of you know thousands a second. And as um, Sonny would know, we, we've built this whole ecosystem. Or say we have the whole this whole ecosystem has been built on on Ethereum, and it's it's interoperable and it's brilliant. And you know the mind sort of the mind hive or the hive mind that, that that's sitting on the um, solidity platform is huge and one of the big sticklers is transaction costs so i can't you know lend, um, lease you know things for a second because transaction costs are too high i know i've i, I sit on a uh, a board of a company called identity.com that's 
trying trying to provide digital identity and they built out a whole system in Ethereum that's had to sort of you know stop for, for now and are looking at potential other options. So ETH2 enables a whole sort of mirror of, of other opportunities and, and other sort of spaces uh, like DeFi, other sort of specialities within crypto and and and, uh, and that's very exciting. In, in terms of the yields being different, you know, I think that that's just the market working out it's in terms of efficiency, there are obviously risks associated with it. You know, you have to lock up uh, and, and stake your capital for for, for quite a while. Um, you know, that, that that time has a cost, and and also, you know, it, it may be indefinite if, if, if protocols, um, and, but you know, potential given how long it's taken so, so far. I mean, these are very difficult uh, problems. So, yeah, I'm no way trivializing them, but but of course, that those risks are, uh, um, yeah, the, the, you know, those those risks the market tries to factor in. I guess if staking two is very popular, that dries up staking uh, ETH supply in ETH one and potentially kind of kind of increase gas inflation. No, no. Um, um, so that's a bit of a concern for me. Any final thoughts on ETH two, uh, Stanley? Yeah, I think the interesting part is like how how the um, ETH2 staking incentives will affect uh, the DeFi yields because they kind of are in parallel in the sense that um, mm. there, there is demand to borrow ETH, let's say, on, on DeFi, but when there's it, it's staking, uh, practically there will be uh, also demand, uh, more demand to, to borrow ETH. So interesting part will be kind of like what could be the arbitrage in between because it might be that the the uh lending deposit rate on DeFi on ETH might be practically something that uh is close to the uh ETH staking rate uh minus the the kind of like operational cost and and uh, other indirect uh affected costs and risks and, and that could be pretty interesting uh and also second secondly uh, uh some of the kind of like a staking uh staking as a service and also this kind of like DAOs that are looking yeah. into uh partake into the staking, they're looking to, to basically tokenize those staking positions. And this is something that we're talking uh, with, uh, in our, with other, uh, this kind of like uh, service providers uh, of them creating a actual money market for staked ETH, using it as a collateral to borrow uh, liquidity from Aave. Those are kind of a couple of interesting um, uh, aspects. And that's also going to let the market trade on, um, on, on the sort of the progress of, of ETH2, you know, as, as, as we get closer, the, you know, the, the price, assuming there's a discount between ETH2 and ETH or maybe the other way, um, you know, but, but it's, it, it allows sort of the, the market to trade in the, the, the frothiness of the, the process as well, which is, uh, which is quite exciting. I've, I've, you know, the, um, I, I think, I think overall it's going to be an interesting time, but I, I think it's also be very good for the space in the long run. I would agree. And speaking of time, we're out of it. So, <laughs> so much, Danny, and thank you very much, James. And uh, I bid you farewell and back to Tina. Thank you.